Eenie, meenie, chilly beanie, these spirits are about to speak. Are they friendly spirits? Friendly? Just listen. So, hey, Bill, how are you doing? Good to see you. I'm doing pretty good this evening. Thank you. Oh, great, great, great. Yeah, we had a beautiful day today in Pennsylvania. Wasn't it? Yeah. (laughs) Considering it's been doing nothing but raining. So, the deluge, um, yeah. Yeah. And um, our first topic that we're going to talk about tonight, by the way, this is episode five of It's Magic. And we could probably keep going all year on this because there's so much to cover. But this is going to be our end for the time being. And it's kind of ending in a way on a, I don't know, a a pertinent topic uh, because of the history that we're going to be talking about. And we're going to be talking about the rise of spiritualism and and the spiritualist movement, which is, I think, something we're both familiar with. And quite excited about as a matter of fact mm-hmm. so with all this rain um we could really uh we could we should really start talking about the 1830s and mm. the burn the burned over district are you familiar burned with over. no you... i'm not i'm eager to learn about that oh okay well um in the 1830s there was a lot of things going on there there was a lot of immigration coming into the new country we were finally, mm-hmm. after the War of 1812, we were kind of stable. We, of mm-hmm. course, we had a constitution, uh, and there was a lot of westward expansion. The mm-hmm. Native American tribes in the Northeast were almost completely gone. That's true. And so they had already started being myth, 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 mythicized. That's a hard word to get out. <laughs> we, we idealized to, in some cases. Well, yeah. and, Demonized and, and idealized. And uh, yeah, they went from being demonized to becoming the noble savage, the noble savage. Yeah. And we'll be talking about that. So after all these things going on, uh, guess what? A kind of a moral panic set in. Mm. And especially among what had been the leading religions in the early USA. Uh, So. well, the those religions were um, various reformed religions, uh, Anglicanism. They let some Roman Catholics sneak into Maryland. Pennsylvania was <laughs> relatively tolerant of people practicing different religions, but not mm. necessarily of people of different nationalities. The the right. Irish were were had a rough go of it, worse than the Germans actually uh, here in Pennsylvania, but. Anyway, um, what began to happen was some new religions came, began to spring into, uh, into place. Mm-hmm. And um, these religions were 
a little different. Mm -hmm. um, for example, um, there was a, a beginning of what was referred to as the Second Great Awakening, and that was yes. where evangelicals uh, began stomping through what was in the, um, the frontier and mm -hmm. putting up tent revivals and what they called camp meetings. And these mm -hmm. things continue to this day. But, yes, they uh, do. Yeah. But uh, this was the start of those things. Mm. And um, so there was a great deal of interest in mysticism during this mm -hmm. particular time. Uh, people were superstitious, of course. And going along with this was a sort of a swing into a more liberal outlook on things that had been taken for granted. So you see uh, the temperance movement starting in the 1830s, mm. the women's rights, women's suffrage starting then, the mm -hmm. abolition movement wanting to abolish slavery. And yeah. there was a lot of fear of the end times. Yeah. So besides some of the religions that were starting up, I mean, first off, the Baptists were beginning to pour in, especially the English Baptists, and also the German Baptists were starting to pour in. The Puritans were becoming the Congregationalists, and they were becoming a little, a little, little less vehement about uh, pushing their religious beliefs. But there was a beginning of a bunch of other groups, like, for example, yeah. uh, you've heard of the Millerites, right? Sure, sure. Sure. So, so yeah. that's, that's an end times... Yeah religion well, basically. you know it also it also occurs to me that this is around the time of industrialization beginning in the united states here oh yes that, that uh, um people found their situation in life they came here for opportunity and found it quite frankly appalling mm -hmm. and uh some of the cities uh well let's just take pittsburgh for example uh you know the smoke the pollution the lack of uh, sanitary conditions kind of make life uh, a living hell. And maybe, you know, people were looking for fresh new perspectives about what life is all about. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of economic and social pressures at this time. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so along with, along with these uh, various new religions, like, for example, mm. the Shakers started about mm -hmm. this time. Shakers. Various yeah. utopian communities started up. Mm -hmm. They were one. Uh, there was a group in Elmira that had in New York uh, that had a utopian vision. And mm -hmm. uh, so this was a time of prophets um, springing up, you know, in the wilderness and mm -hmm. beginning to use um Things like folk magic, which we've talked about sure. many times in our past episodes. So yeah. I want to mention a couple of people. Um, one was named Joseph Smith. Yeah, so famous. Short, yeah. yeah, he's very famous. And mm -hmm. um, he had, starting out, he had sort of a magical worldview. So um, there as the Indians... Native Americans retreated from mm -hmm. the eastern seaboard. They left mm -hmm. artifacts of their culture behind besides sure. the remains of their villages and, you know, markings that they've made on stones and things mm -hmm. like that. There were also mounds that they built. Yeah, the mound builders. Yeah. yeah, the mound builders. And so European settlers were familiar with mounds in places like England and Scotland mm. and Ireland. And they had 
given them, they called them barrows, and they had given sure. them some sort of magical quality. They believed that fairies lived in them, or perhaps mm -hmm. treasure was built in, buried mm -hmm. in them. And Joseph Smith and his father and other members of the family um, started out as treasure finders. Really? They, they used things like divining rods. That. They used yeah. uh, and and, and oh, they did divine magic, they, yeah, yeah, the searching for water and things like that. And wow. um, one of the things they used, we remember, we've talked about um, uh, scrying stones before, yes, yes, yes. Um, yeah. and they used what was called a peep stone, which peep you would, stone. yeah, you would find a specially polished shiny rock, um, yeah. put it in a hat or put a, a, a bed sheet over your head and look at yeah. the stone and it would yeah. reveal hidden mysteries to you. Oh. So that was one of the techniques that Joseph Smith used for um, finding treasure. I uh, see. And, you know, then they would go and they would hire a crew to dig into a, an Indian mound and look for gold, usually was the mm -hmm. thing they were looking for. Yeah, or, El Dorado, or, yeah. Or gems or... Or even sure. water, you know, what they were yeah. also doing water witching or what they called dousing. Um, right. So um, all around this area, around Rochester and Elmira, New York, um, practitioners would find these stones. Um, mm. Joseph Smith's stone, which he called his dazzling splendor, was a three <laughs> to four inch piece of quartz. And he and when he looked into it, it caused him to fall down unconscious. Wow. Um, Joseph Smith's various stones reportedly included a smooth gray egg-shaped rock found in a neighbor's well, mm. a second which he reportedly dug up near Lake Erie, which is oh. where you're from. Yeah, after, yeah. after seeing it in uh, Illinois, uh, or no, yeah. after seeing it, um, and then others he collected from the Mississippi River sands near Nauvoo, Illinois. Um, yeah. Once again, this form of scrying, as we previously discussed when we talked about John D, they're doing mm -hmm. the same thing. Mm -hmm. Okay, so <clears throat> while finding the right moment to dig was important, the need to circumvent the treasure's guardian was crucial because, you know, if you had a treasure, it was going sure. to have a spiritual guardian. Sure. And just like in the old world, American treasure keepers uh, uh, might be demonic or divine. Mm -hmm. They could be mm -hmm. a cat or a dog or a snake or mm -hmm. some other protective animal. Uh, you know, it wouldn't be hard to imagine a snake slithering out of a mound that uh, had been created and was sitting around. So, sure. um, so also guardian Indian spirits oh. were a motif. Uh, yeah. Which, for example, um, a murdered pirate was killed specifically to create a guardian for Captain Kidd's treasure trove. Oh, wow. So it's and, still out there somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. many times animal sacrifices had to be made to appease these guardian spirits. Mm -hmm. And, for example, with Joseph Smith, these rituals apparently at some point included sacrificing dogs. Wow, uh, which is I really, never knew that. Yeah, it's really upsetting for me as someone who had always loved dogs. Wow, but this I, is how I, they operated. That's that's really that's really hard to digest. Yeah, Michael, that's 
I, I never expected that. Yeah, that's I, a really when, new piece of information. Well, I didn't expect it either when I was doing the research, but this comes mm. from Hillel Lewis, who is Joseph Smith's cousin. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, well, the cousin of his first wife, excuse me, Emma Smith. Okay. And he spoke in 1879 of Joseph Smith sacrificing dogs during treasure digs. Wow. Wow. Uh, and this is a quote. The facts are the sacrifice of white dogs, black sluts, black cats, oh. and such was an indispensable part or appendage of the art which Smith, the embryo wow. prophet, was then practicing. Wow. He now, claimed, go ahead. I'm, I'm assuming he's getting paid to do this kind of stuff? Well, yeah. He's <laughs> <laughs> not just out there for the fun of it, I guess. Well, so. you, know the, you know the old joke about the psychiatrist. <laughs> You don't get better unless you pay. <laughs> unless you pay. That's right. Absolutely. Hey, is that you making a poke at me, Michael? No, 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 no. Not in the least. Not in the least. But um, <laughs> but that is an old joke. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so he claimed he possessed the power of second sight. Yeah. And, you know, could see things at a distance or look sure. like Superman with X-ray vision deep underground. Sure. And his frequent references to enchantment proved that yeah. he was a conjurer or a sorcerer uh -huh. or uh -huh. what as webster would say an enchanter yeah. um and uh he was engaged in some sort of sorcery or witchcraft no, which and this back is, then was considered to be intercourse with the devil yeah this is this is the diametrically opposed to this christian kind of evangelical where concept we're getting, where we're yeah. getting there Okay, good, um, good, because I, I don't know how you reconcile these, but so, okay, I'll wait. So, so basically, um, this is the same technique minus the sacrifice of animals that, <laughs> that he used when he had a vision of the archangel Moroni. Moroni, yeah. Who told him where to look for the golden tablets. Ah. Now, he never had the golden tablets, but he was able to read them and translate them by using his peep stone. The peep stone is in the hat. Yeah. In the hat. And he would put the stone yeah. in his hat, put the hat over his face, and then speak. And sometimes he spoke in tongues. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and his wife, his, uh, his sister-in-law, his cousin, uh, all these people would take turns writing down his they'd his be things. the transcriber yeah they would transcribe it and um that became the book of Mer mormon and this is where the yeah because if you've ever read the book of mormon you can you can hear obviously hear the christian tonality of that well of that work so. and there's big chunks that are lifted directly from it's the old directly. testament yeah. Yeah. yeah uh and and you know it's and it fits in with this whole american remember this is also the beginning time of the um the first america first movement the uh, mm -hmm. native the native borns who were opposed mm -hmm. to immigration yeah. they were especially opposed to catholics if you ever yeah. read read the book or saw the movie the gangs of new york it kind of right. talks yeah. about from the 1830s to the 1860s uh that mm. time period in new york city um so uh but he wasn't the only one <laughs> He's not the only one doing oh, this. Oh, no, stuff. no. Robert Matthews, he was a oh, carpenter, a businessman. A new one and, on me. Yeah, and a religious figure. Well, this is interesting, too. Um, and he had a cult 
that followed him in the 1830s New York. Okay. He went by a bunch of aliases. He went uh-huh. by Robert Matthias, Jesus okay. Matthias, oh, Matthias right. the Matthias the prophet, and okay. Joshua the Jewish minister. Minister. Wow. Jewish minister. Yeah. Uh, wow. Uh, Matthews successfully converted three wealthy businessmen who helped him fund the founding of a settlement he called the Kingdom in Sing Sing Village, New York, where now we right. know Sing Sing is the, yeah, the prison, the prison yeah. was. Yeah. Uh, the Kingdom was also known as Mount Zion, of course. Yeah. Uh, Classic. Yeah. Uh, yeah, eventually became, he eventually became in, involved, like a lot of cult leaders, in, <laughs> adul- in adultery, oh, bankruptcy, suspected murder. A murder, okay. And consequently landed him in jail. Okay. He's also remembered for two other things. He had a brief encounter with Joseph Smith where they they uh, sat wow. and argued their religious philosophies <laughs> yeah. all night. And in the morning, they, they left and pronounced each other satanic. Okay, there you go. Yeah. Your but peep the, stone isn't as good as my peep stone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but also, um, he had a servant named Isabella, mm. as Matthews mm. did. And Ma- she was an interesting woman because she had escaped slavery and it mm. actually worked to buy her son from his okay. owner so that he All could right. be free too. She's okay. a very interesting character. Yeah. But she was accused uh, of being one of the uh, people who was involved in the murder of one of the financiers of the kingdom. Oh, all right, yeah. But she was acquitted due to lack of evidence. Hmm. And she presented several letters verifying her trustworthiness of a servant. The Hmm. trial then focused on the resulted beating of his daughter, which he was found guilty of. Uh, The trial lasted for four days, resulting in a sentence of three months and 30 additional days for contempt of court. Um, Only murder, yeah. So eventually, I mean, he went, he, much like Joseph Smith, ended up skedaddling to Ohio, mm. uh, and he's reported to have died in the uh, Iowa Territory in 1841, though he was committed to an insane asylum in New York State. Now, here's, the, here's the kicker. Uh, Isabella, the former slave, um, went on to become a powerful voice for abolition and women's rights. Okay. She became an wow. evangelical preacher. Okay. She went before a large camp meeting, mm-hmm. uh, and she was supported by abolitionists, by the way, uh, mm-hmm. and declared from this moment on, she was no longer Isabella, but she was going to be a sojourner for truth. Oh, and that, my and goodness. That's the name we know her by today. Sojourner Truth. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. You and boy, Michael, you impressed me with your history pieces. I just love history and I'm learning so much today. That's amazing. I never knew that. It's a, it's a small area and it was a volatile area during this time period. So let's talk philosophy. Okay. Mm -hmm. And let's, Mm -hmm. and this is some of the things that also helped lead up to this. Um, have you ever heard of a Swedish uh, philosopher and mystic and theologian named Emanuel Swedenborg? No, I have not. All right. Well, he was a scientist and he was an inventor. Mm-hmm. But at the age of 56, he went into a spiritual phase. Well, I think that's mm. something that happens to a lot of men uh, in which he experienced dreams 
and visions of the afterlife. Okay. This culminated, he had a spiritual awakening where he claimed he was appointed by God to write a heavenly doctrine to reform Christianity. Well, of course, yeah. So, yeah. So he claimed that the <laughs> Lord had opened his eyes and that from then on, he could freely visit between heaven and hell wow. and, talk, and talk to angels, demons, and other spirits. Wow. For the remaining 28 years of his life, he wrote and published 18 theological works, which the best known was Heaven and Hell from 1758, mm. and several unpublished theological works. Okay. So he should be appreciated as much for his theology as for his mysticism. And mm -hmm. much of it was centuries ahead of his time. I mean, he could, the new age movement of the 80s, he could have easily fit into that. Um, I see. And probably inspired a great deal of it. So mm -hmm. he, he taught uh, ecumenicalism. Okay, it's, like a pantheistic he, kind of thing. Yeah. No, but I mean that all faiths were one faith. Yeah, and, and, yeah. and that no. God, uh, providence works to save all people, whether or yeah. not they're Christians. And mm -hmm. then in heaven dwell good peoples of many religions. Mm -hmm. he, he rejected the Lutheran doctrine of salvation by faith alone. Instead, right. both faith and charity are necessary for salvation. Mm -hmm. well, mm -hmm. I don't necessarily disagree with that. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Especially the charity part. Mm -hmm. um, Swedenborg mm -hmm. thus emphasized the supreme importance of a person's heart as a mm -hmm. determining factor as to whether they were destined for heaven or hell. Mm -hmm. Upon entering the spirit world, he taught people to judge themselves and find their proper habitation according to the altruistic or self-centered orientation of the heart. Mm -hmm. Thus, he rejected the then commonplace notion that God was a judge who met out right. punishment by consigning right. sinners to hell. Yeah. Sweden, God, Sweden. Yeah. God, God, is God a judge? Is he judgmental or is he loving? Yeah. You can't have it both ways. Yeah. yeah, Swedenborg came down on the side of the God of love. Love, yeah. And mm -hmm. he taught the divine polarity of love and wisdom, which resonates mm. with the contemporary appreciation of God as having both feminine and masculine mm -hmm. attributes. Mm -hmm. uh, he also claimed to be able to communicate with spirits while awake. And this is the important mm. part. He described the structure of the spirit world. Two features of his particularly, his view resonated with early spiritualists. First, there's not a single hell and a single heaven, but a series of higher and lower heavens and hells. And second, All that right. spirits are intermediaries between gods and humans, so okay. that the divine sometimes uses them as means of communication. Sure. Uh, though he warned against seeking out spirit contact, his works seems to have inspired just exactly that. Yeah, so, yeah. so the other guy who's kind of important is a guy named Franz Mesmer. Oh, Mesmerism. Yeah. yeah. He wow. was born in 1734 in Germany. He became a doctor and was interested trying to find the source of disease. Okay. He was influenced by Isaac Newton. In mm. 1687, Newton had shown his science in a scientific blockbuster principalia yeah. uh, how ocean tides are caused by the effects of the sun and the mm -hmm. moon mm -hmm. in 1713 he added the general uh scolium to the principa uh including these words and now we might add something concerning a certain most subtle spirit which pervades and lies hidden in all gross bodies by the force mm. and action of which spirit the particles of bodies mutually attract one another at near distances and cohere. Mm. And electric bodies operate to greater distances, and the members of animal bodies move at the command of will 
namely mm. by the vibrations of the spirit mutually propagated along the solid filaments of the nerves from the outward organs of the senses to the brain and wow. from the brain to the muscles. Wow. So Mesmer found that really interesting and it really influenced him. And yeah. of course, someone else we've previously talked about was Paracelsus, who mm -hmm. was uh, a 14th century physician and alchemist. Yeah. And he mm -hmm. believed, and among his many beliefs, and he was, he influenced lots and lots of people. He believed mm -hmm. that magnets and the heavenly bodies produce an, a fluid yeah. that yeah. interacts with the human body. It, it, you know, this, this just, it resonates of, uh, um, of, of physics, you know, spooky, uh, what is it called? Spooky action at a distance. Yeah. That, uh, Einstein yeah. talked about. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this really, got, really this interesting. got a little bit that more down to earth and a little bit more wooey than that. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> at least the physics has some math behind it. <laughs> right, right, right. Newton, Newton was referring to the greatly misunderstood phenomenon of electricity, uh -huh. which was commonly thought to be a form of fluid. Uh -huh. Mesmer interpreted it as a kind of life force he called animal magnetism. Well, magnetism, sure. Yeah. He reasoned that it could be returned to a body that was deficient it would cure all kinds of illnesses. Mm -hmm. So he created electrical devices that will allow him to remagnetize an individual using magnets, wow. static electricity, and various wow. electrified wands, which wow. he would wave over his patients. Yeah. He also had a habit of dressing up in costumes and staring intently at his patients <laughs> while practicing <laughs> a laying on of his hands. Yeah. Women, women were said to swoon. And yeah. treatments of his prettiest and wealthiest female patients oh, lasted hours, often behind closed doors. <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah, yeah, it sounds so, like a good gig if you can get it. Yeah, it sounds like great. Well, just wait. The success of his treatments made him rich. Yeah, bet. Raised some suspicions. Okay, husbands. Yeah, uh -huh. uh, especially when Marie Antoinette became one of oh. his patients. So the yeah. King of France called the first scientific commission together. To investigate Mesmer's claims. The commission included two of the most eminent scientists of the time, and indeed of the history of the beginnings of science, Anton Lavoisier and Benjamin yeah. Franklin. And Franklin, yeah, okay. Yeah. So they, stu they studied the evidence uh, to support Mesmer's claim uh, about discovering this new magnetic fluid, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and any benefits from his patients, from his treatments, were simply imagination. This, oh, is what they, okay. this is what they found. After yeah. those findings, Mesmer conveniently got out of town, <laughs> living to a ripe old age, um, a wealthy man. Franklin, too, went back to America, where his renown continued to spread. Yeah, Louis well, XVI, Marie Antoinette, and Lavoisier weren't as lucky, sure. all following up that, that episode as victims of the reign of terror in, yeah. the, in France in the 1890s. Wow. But we still remember Mesmer because the mesmerism. word mesmerism, yeah. uh, which is described as a hypnotic state where an sure. individual falls under the control of a powerful personality. Mm -hmm. uh, Mesmer influenced a lot of modern beliefs from hypnotism and magnetic yeah. theory to the themes contained in Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Yeah, you know, you know, and that's that's interesting because you know there's still. I mean, look at MRIs or CAT scans, oh, or, yeah. or even there are even some new treatments these days in in counseling for depression where some um, magnetic uh, devices are being tested and used with 
you know, I'd have to do the research on it, but with some success, it's rather interesting. Who knows? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So that was the atmosphere uh -huh. of upstate New York during that <laughs> time period. And, and about and, the and, 1970s, Michael. And, and, the, and, the, and the world, too. Pretty uh, weird. Uh, yeah, there was a lot of strange stuff going on. Mm -hmm. And a lot of change. Uh -huh. So that brings us to Hydesville, New York in 1848. Because mm -hmm. strange things began to happen in the Fox home. Fox, yeah, I recognize that uh, name. Strange voices and noises were heard around bedtime uh -huh. in the dark rooms of their homes that had no explanation. Uh -huh. Margarita, Maggie Fox, 14, and Kate Fox, 11, oh, told, yeah. told the tale to their neighbor, who then came over to hear it for himself. Yeah. Uh, Maggie ordered the room to count to five, and five loud thuds were heard as the girls oh. were huddled on the bed. Mm -hmm. The girls soon declared that the thuds were the work of spirits who were trying to communicate with the living through the use of spirit wraps. A system was worked out where a series of knocks corresponded to letters of the alphabet and, yeah. the, me and the messages began. Yeah, already kind of transparent there how that yeah. happened and worked the, through. But the, yeah. yeah, the girls' parents were good Methodists and had mm -hmm. concerns about all this sure. and vacated the house. They oh. sent the they sent the girls to live with their older sister, Leah Fox Fish, in nearby Rochester. Okay. This area of New York is known as, once again, that's part of the burned over region and was a hotbed yeah. of religious reform and activity. Mm -hmm. Rumors of the girls' experiences reached community leaders, Isaac mm -hmm. and Amy Post. They were intrigued as rumors indicated a peddler had been murdered in the Fox home prior to them uh. living there. And they believed the girls were communicating with his spirit. Yeah, adds to the mystery, yeah. A group of investigators took it upon themselves to investigate the Fox home and found what they believed were fragments of bone and strands of hair. Wow, yeah. They were convinced these were the remains of the spirit the Fox girls called Mr. Splitfoot. <laughs> Great image, yeah. Yeah, well, cloven uh, hoof. yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean... They just yeah. can't move away from this whole satanic thing. <laughs> from the thing. demon thing. Yeah. 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 So at this point, Lee Fox got into the act by saying she was also a medium who could communicate with the, uh, with the post-deceased daughter. Uh-huh. The post rented the largest hall in Rochester, and the girls put on a demonstration of their spiritualist ability. I bet there was a fee involved. Yeah. 400 people came to hear the spirits <laughs> there rap you go. and to answer fee, question. Yeah. Uh -huh. Afterwards, the girls were taken to a private chamber and examined by a panel of skeptics. Mm. Female, female examiners had the girls disrobe and check their uh -huh. undergarments for anything that would have produced the sounds. That had to be kind of embarrassing for the two girls. Yeah, yeah. But their exploits caught the attention of Andrew Jackson Davis, who was known as the Poughkeepsie Seer. He had written a book a year before predicting the rise of spiritualism, and he took the appearance of the Fox sisters as a manifestation of his prophecy. With his blessing, the girls went on the road with Lee as their manager and began a professional tour to spread the word of the spirits. They played first wow. in New York City and charged a dollar admission. There you go. And <laughs> offered private meetings with the, for the more wealthy bereaved. Notice the more wealthy bereaved. They entertained yeah. such important people as P.T. Barnum, 
Horace Greeley, John James Fenimore Cooper, William Collins Bryant, and William Lloyd Garrison. Wow, pretty pretty big company. To yeah, that's a that's a heady group. Yeah. yeah. Lee stayed behind in New York while Kate and Maggie continued their tour in cities like Cleveland, Cincinnati, Columbus, St. Louis, Washington, D.C., and Philadelphia. Wow. Even though famous publications like Scientific American scoffed at their sessions, people flocked to get a seat at the table to hear the messages of the spirits. Hmm. Committees and forums were formed to expose the sisters as frauds, but they couldn't prove anything. Mm -hmm. However, there were clues that there were some shenanigans going on. Mm -hmm. Lee would often go into the audience and gather information, which was magically repeated back by the spirits. Mm -hmm. Also, notably, the ghost of Benjamin Franklin appeared and had, wow. but he had very noticeably bad grammar. <laughs> when someone mentioned this fact, Maggie is reported as stomping her foot and claiming angrily, You know, I never understood grammar. <laughs> <laughs> Despite all this, the, the sisters' fame grew, and their seances were usually popular, and their services widely sought after. As a performer in Philadelphia, Maggie met her future husband, Arctic explorer hmm. Elisha Kent Kane. Wow. He was charmed by her, even though he was convinced she was a complete fraud. He convinced her to quit the tour and go back to school, which she did, exchanging a ring and vows with him in 1857. Sadly, sadly, they weren't together very long before his sudden death that same year. <laughs> yeah, he, he died. He died uh, due to the ill effects of one of his Arctic um, oh, explora okay. explorations. Right. So, um, so anyway, um, with nothing else. Uh, oh, and by the way, she was cut out by his family because okay. they thought she was a fraud, too. And she yeah. began drinking very heavily. Oh, okay. uh, with nothing else, Maggie went back to being a medium, although she had promised Kane she would not. Mm -hmm. At one point, she's supposed to have been called by former First Lady Mary Todd Lincoln. Yeah, attempt they to were really into that. Yeah, she was, well, she was. She was very yeah. much into it. To yes. attempt to contact the spirit of her deceased husband. Okay. The account appeared in the New York Times in February 1872 and was used in 1875 by her son, Robert Todd Lincoln as evidence of her squandering oh. the family fortune on spiritualist, yeah. spiritualist foolishness. And yeah. she was then briefly committed to a sanitarium by him. Wow. So Kate didn't do much better. <laughs> uh, she went to school, paid for by Horace Greeley. He wow. had offered to educate both young Fox sisters, but Lee did not want Maggie to quit the medium show as she was seen as more talented. Yeah. It's making her money, yeah. Kate spent four months in the Greeley home in Chappaqua, New York, attempting to contact the couple's deceased five-year-old son. Mm. When she came of age, Kate married a devout spiritualist. After mm. so many deaths uh, in the American Civil War, business was booming for mediums, and Kate and her husband made money hand over fist. Wow. However, the fame began to take its toll, and Kate became an alcoholic as well. By the time wow. she had two sons with her husband, her eldest Ferdinand was convinced, was convicted as a medium as well. Convicted. Sadly, her, yeah, sadly, her husband died suddenly from a stroke in 1885. Hmm. So that same year, Maggie was called in uh, to a commission in New York State to prove her abilities, which, which, uh. she, fa which she failed. 
spiritualism was beginning to run its course uh, on the decline yeah yeah and it was difficult for the sisters to find work uh-huh lee was arrested for for dr drunkenness and hmm. um disorderly conduct in 1888 hmm. and lost custody of both her children lee had married a wealthy man and had basically turned her back on her two sisters hmm. it was time for a change maggie made the decision to denounce spiritualism at once and for all she booked the New York Academy of Music and offered an exclusive to the New York world for $1,500. Kate was in the audience lending her support as Maggie described how the two of them began the deception in their home so long ago. Ah, the revelation, yeah. She claimed, uh, my sister Kate and myself were very young children when this horrible deception began. Mm. At night, when we were at the bed, we used to tie an apple on a string and move the string up and down, causing the apple to bump on the floor. Or we would drop the apple on the floor, making a strange noise every time mm -hmm. it would rebound. The apple dropping was soon not enough, and they moved into manipulating their knuckles, their joints, and uh, their toes to make yeah, rapping noise. Yeah. yeah. A great many people, when they hear the rapping, imagine at once that the spirits are touching them. Uh -huh. It's a very common delusion. Sure. Some very wealthy people came to see me some years ago when I lived in 42nd Street, and I did some rapping for them. I made the spirit rap on the chair, and one of the ladies cried out, I feel the spirit rap mm -hmm. tapping me on the shoulder. Sure. Of course, that was pure imagination. Yeah. Power of suggestion, yeah. Yep. Critics of spiritualism crowed that this was the proof they needed that the whole movement was mm. bunk. Mm -hmm. spiritualists claimed that it was the sad ravings of the drunk both maggie and kate recanted the rec recantation later and tried to perform again as mediums but it was unsuccessful mm. kate kate drank herself to death and was found by one of her sons wow. she, was on, she was only 56 and yeah. maggie died a year later in 1893 they could have probably made more money is just performing uh, illusionists or magicians but yeah, yeah. Too bad. Yeah. What a sad story. Yeah, she was yeah. only 59 years old. Well, it's interesting because locally, there's a connection to all this. Really? And, yeah. What's that and, connection? Well, I've interviewed uh, a friend named Carolyn, and oh. I'd like to play that now um, yeah, because cool. this, this is pretty fascinating. Okay. Here comes Carolyn. So uh, we're talking about, of course, uh our magic series and we're on part five hard to believe we made it through all five of them but uh we're since we're talking about the rise of spiritualism not only as a practice but also as a religion uh we thought we'd add some local interest to this discussion so with me today as a little aside is my friend carolyn she's a neighbor and she has a special connection to the story that we've been telling about the Fox sisters. So, Carolyn, welcome to the podcast about everything. Thanks, Mike. I'm excited to be here. This is going to be fun. Well, we're thrilled to have you. Uh, you know, as I've explained to other people, I'm thrilled to see anybody at any time. So, um, so. Uh, we're talking about the Fox sisters, the famous spiritualist sisters, who um, really kind of started the whole spiritualist seance 
um, uh, religion and fad that swept first the United States and then Great Britain and all of Europe during the early and mid 1800s and then well into the 20th century, it continues to exist. And I understand that you have an interesting connection to the Fox sisters. Could you tell us what it is? Well, yeah. And um, you were you were sitting on our front porch, um, probably, I don't know, about a year or so ago. And you were you were talking about your podcasts, and that you were talking about spiritualism. And before, I, I think I said, Oh, Mike, I think I have something that you might like to see. And before I really had much of an opportunity to say anything about the Fox sisters, you had already popped it out of your mouth. And you, you said the seance table, you said something about the seance. And I said, I have the table that the Fox sisters used. Wow. So I, I invited you into the house and we had to look at it. And it, it's actually, I thought it was appropriate for me to sit here and it's right here to my left. Um, so if you want to tour the table, like I can tour the table with you, but um, yeah. Do, do you want me to get into this now? Um, well, I'll tell you what, um, first off, I would like to ask a couple of questions. Um, can you just, since, uh, this is only an audio podcast. Can you describe the table for the listeners? Sure. It's, it's, it's a beautiful table. Um, it's a pedestal table. Um, I, I, I want to say it's kind of a carved bottom to it. It has two drop leaves on either side. Um, it, it's, it's large-ish and once the two tables come up, it's it's kind of like a almost a small dining room table or a kitchen table, the size of that. But it's a it's a deep dark wood finish. I I don't even begin to speculate about what kind of wood it's made of, but um, it is a beautiful table. It just has um, beautiful um, kind of marbling in it so um yeah that's all i can really say about it so we've already spoken on the podcast about the fox sisters and how they um there was a story and uh, apparently there were excavations in the um under the house or in uh, in the basement of the house where they found human bones and there was a story that a peddler had been robbed and murdered in the house and then buried and it was his spirit that they were contacting and he would of course communicate okay. with them by making rapping noises on the table uh and there were three fox sisters and they all then ended up having um some misadventures and some serious careers as uh psychics and media seance mediums and producing these strange noises um i think one of them produced a ports in other words had actual spirits appear but for the most part they seem to engage in sort of a 
knocking communication with the spirits they were summoning. Um, so um, tell me how this table came into your possession. It's it's a little bit of a ways from to central Pennsylvania from where it originally was. Quite, yes. Um, the, the table was given to my great grand grandmother, um, oh. my Nana, and um, a letter came with it. Um, it was gifted to her. Um, and if, if you're interested, I can read the letter. I have the original, um, but the original writing on this is um, really difficult to read. So at some point, somebody somewhere in my um, ancestry sat down and interpreted it and typed the letter out. But um, it was, the letter was written November 1st of 1937. Would you like me uh. to read it? Okay. Yeah, um, we, we love, of course, we tend to be a little skeptical on this podcast. So we love any sort of thing that provides a little bit of proof, a little uh, coloration of the mysteries, so to speak. Uh, okay. So please, yeah, we'd love to hear the letter. Okay, so what this says, it says, Dear Mrs. Nugent, and this was, this was my great grandmother, um, I've been picking up the things I do not want to leave behind me and hope you can find use on the center table of the enclosed, which it's referring to the table and the dear little sack you gave me at the Christmas time. I don't know what that was. <laughs> <laughs> this is the history of the table as I remember it. When the Fox sisters came to Rochester, there was great excitement for our city was small and had few amusements and father asked Margaret Fox, who afterwards married Dr. Kane of Arctic fame, to come to the house and meet a few friends and they used that table. The wrapping came all right, as I was told, but the answers were not satisfactory for it may have, maybe it was the fault of the guests who asked the questions as sometime after an old friend of father's who wanted to convert him, asked him to send a message to the spirit world. And father sent one asking about his quote unquote brother James. The answer came back fine, mother says, tell Jack, which was the father's name, your brother James is not in the spirit world. And he wasn't, and father knew it. Oh. So, um, yeah, I, that's up for interpretation. Um, yeah. Anyway, it goes on and it says, it, it was queer. That word comes out a couple times here. Um, I know that there seems to be an awful lot of bad ones running around the world in these days. When Anna and I were in London, we went to the St. Martin's in the field where she was married to Dr. Kane, and they said the church was full of wrapping. Maybe it was the weather, maybe it was if the weather was chilly. However, I believe there are lots of queer things we do not understand. If ever you want to sell the table to Miss Elwanger, 
or the city as an antique, you are quite at liberty to do so without hurting my feelings, as no one has left who is much interested. These dark rainy days must have been lonely for you, but you can go out. Um, and then it just kind of goes on and it mentions that at that point, my great grandfather had been passed away. And it sounds like um, this man's wife had also passed away, but it is addressed yours sincerely, Francis H. Andrews. Hmm. So I don't, I, I don't know. And I have, I actually have never researched to look up who this Francis H. Andrews is, but that's the gist of the, the letter. And it was, it's like I said, it's dated November 1st of 1937. Um, and the, the envelope is original. It doesn't have a return address, but it's postmarked November 5th in Rochester, New York. So uh, from what I know of the Fox sisters, um, they lived in and around Rochester, New York, which yeah. is where um, my mother's side of the family was from. And um, there's another, there was another little card that was tucked in, and this is in my aunt's handwriting, but she pulled out, somebody obviously had done like some, some reading up. And at one point there was a, an article about the Fox sisters oh. that must've been in like a, a Rochester newspaper. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't think it actually has a date on it, but it's very, it's very extensive article. But for whatever reason, um, it pulled, she pulled out this paragraph and it said, spiritual fraud had been rampant in the United States since 1848, when two sisters, Margarita and Kate Fox, and that must've been her full name, um, Margareta or Margarita, um, invited neighbors to hear the mysterious rappings in their house in Hydesville, New York. So what, what I interpret is that that particular paragraph was pulled out because that this Mr. Francis Andrews refers to in his, in his telling of the story that, um, you know, he said the wrappings came all right, that they had been invited to the house. So I'm wondering if they're both referring to the same seance. They might be. Yeah. And, and I may be just reading into some vague statements, but it, it almost sounds as though, uh, who was it? The your great grandfather was talking about his brother and yeah. like, he, like he was trying to trick them or something like that to see if they were fraudulent and she said well he's not in the spirit world like he yeah like he said oh i want to contact my dead brother who's like in the next room sitting there smoking a cigar and you know uh can you and she said no he's not there and um that must have if that's what was going on, that must have been really surprising. Yeah. 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 She kind of called, yeah. she may have called somebody's bluff there. Um, right. 
Yeah, Margaret Margarita had a real rough life, actually. Um, she married well. Well, she married well. She married uh, Elisha Kane, who um, was an Arctic explorer from Philadelphia. And the Kane family was very, very wealthy and very, very Roman Catholic. And hmm. she was not <laughs> either wealthy or Roman Catholic. And there was a general feeling with his parents that she was a gold digger uh, and that she was engaged in fraud. And he did not believe that she had the abilities that she claimed she had, but he loved mm -hmm. her. But then, you know, I guess you could say typical 19th century male he uh, who's wealthy, he's off to explore the Arctic. And, you know, eventually he dies he uh you know he perishes uh and leaves her a widow and i think her his family then cut her off and she had left you know the spiritualism uh we'll call it a practice and at the behest of the family to make everybody happy and then she was left more or less penniless after this marriage so she went back to her sister leah our uh, lee and they started it all up again. Um, so um, it's interesting. Interesting. It's it very is. interesting. It's fascinating. Yeah. yeah, none of the sisters ended up well. I mean, they all kind of died in poverty and had some fairly miserable uh, events in their lives. Um, hmm. So, but we explore a lot of that on the podcast. And we, we, we talk about some of, some of the things that were going on, especially in that region around rochester and elmira um there was it it was like there was a moral panic going on there um yeah. so we we cover that in the podcast too um so teasers you know uh, <laughs> but anyway um is there anything else that you might want to address that people might find interesting I, I honestly, I don't know what else I have that might be interesting. I'm not a very interesting person. Um, oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> but um, I suckered yeah, you into like, doing this, this so you. <laughs> this, no, but this, the, the table, um, like I said, it was gifted to my great grandmother, and then it, it probably lived with her for some time. Mm -hmm. Then um, it was then given to my grandmother um, and then it was given to my mother and within just the last few years it came here to live with us so um, my my concern now is who am I going to pass it down true, to I, true. I have two boys and um, I'm I'm worried that neither one of them are going to want that but um, yeah it's just it's a lovely table and I've always just been very curious about it um, you know, I, I would love to know, um, you know, what seances they, they held when they, they sat around this table, who they were trying to call up those sorts mm -hmm. of things. So, um, mm -hmm. yeah, I just, I, I just, I, sometimes I'm curious if, you know, I ever feel any energy around it, which I don't, but. <laughs> okay. That was my next question because there is a certain percentage of listeners who are, of course, are going to have their ears set on high uh, to, to pick up any hint 
of any sort of activity surrounding the table or when we talk about haunted houses or places like Gettysburg or things like that. Everybody's like, oh, well, I wonder what. So how long have you had the table, roughly? Um, I want to say it's it's been about two years now. Mm-hmm. Um, my my folks were, were downsizing out of ah. a, a, much, a large home um, and they downsized to a much smaller home. And this was just one of those things that they didn't feel that they were able to take with them. So um, I told them, you know, from, oh, back when I was a kid that um, I wanted the seance table. And that's, that's just what we've always called it in our family. Oh, I don't blame you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, um, I, if I could have a seance table that I I knew that the Fox sisters had anything to do with, I would, I would disown (laughs) some relatives just to get my hands on it. Uh, So I'll ask the question now, nothing spooky, nothing, no strangeness. No, No. I know you don't have a cat because you're allergic. So uh, nothing knocked off the table mysteriously or anything like that. No strange wrappings. No strange wrappings. And I I hate to say it, it's actually sitting right in our front window, Mm -hmm. but I have nothing on it because um, I'm looking for like the perfect lamp to Ah. put on it on the, for the front window. And I've not found it yet, but no, I have never um, sensed any wrappings or um, energy or spirits or anything like that in this in the room in the house. I I, I know your husband. He can be spooky at times. Uh, <laughs> has has the table responded to his presence at all? It 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 actually has. And uh, <laughs> I, I I think it it saying you know out you go and kind of kicking him in the butt but yeah no it's yeah he probably needs that from time to time yeah Um, he does yeah my my wife uh would you know concur with that too um (laughs) okay so thank you so much carolyn for sharing this with us and um the podcast will be coming out probably in about 10 days so uh, thank you for being our guest and for talking about this wonderful table. And I hope we do not ha- see, based on this, a cascade of um, spiritual seekers lining up in your front yard. So thank you once again. Be well. Thanks, and we'll talk Mike. to you soon. You do You're- too. Wasn't that interesting? Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, what what a coincidence. (laughs) What a coincidence. Yeah, what a coincidence to have one of the tables that the the Fox sisters uh, performed their routine on. I'd um, really like to see that. I really would. About eight that blocks. would be a thrill to me as a performing magician. I'm sure uh, that with would... an interest in fakery, I would be really interested in uh, putting sure my that... hands on that table, man. I'm sure that Carolyn and Mike would be happy to have you come over <laughs> and, and do that. I'm going to give them a call. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So while this may seem to be a case of vast gullibility to us now, we yeah. have to remember that this spiritualist business comes at a time of the Western expansion of the United States controversies over new religions, slavery, Mm -hmm. immigration, political revolution, and 
similar to the conditions we explored on our episodes on witch hunts, mm -hmm. not mm -hmm. to mention regular outbreaks of disease, all yeah. of which left families broken in their wake. And then, of course, the yeah. ultimate dem demolition of families was the Civil War. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, also also almost a vacuum in some cases of religiosity. You know, yeah. people came, you know, second, third generation immigrants who weren't really they didn't have local churches. I mean, if you were lucky, you saw a circuit rider once in a while mm -hmm. or a tent preacher, but you didn't have a routine, regular kind of uh, churched experience other than baptism uh, marriages and burials. That was about all you saw the preacher. So yeah, uh, there's almost a vacuum of spiritual feeding or, or nurturance going on. Yeah. Uh, uh, a large portion of my father's side of the family were uh, farmers uh, yeah. who, who lived in Southwestern Pennsylvania. And mm -hmm. um, during the genealogy, you see that there was a line of churches that they mm -hmm. attended that were oh, circuit. Yeah. They were circuit churches. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so the minister would show up at one and do what his duties. I and then move on I don't to the know next one. This, the next one. But but I have portrayed the very first circuit rider here in Blair County, a guy named Pastor Thornton. Oh, uh, I've heard of Pastor I have Thornton. portrayed him several times in my life. Uh, awesome. As a circuit rider. Yeah, it's pretty okay. cool. He's got an interesting story. Yeah. I, I'm picturing you on a horse. <laughs> well, chances are he probably rode a mule, uh, oh, not yeah, a horse, true, but, true, you know, yeah, yeah, close enough. <laughs> so anyway, um, all this uncertainty led to uh, like a moral panic about mm. crumbling traditional institutions. And this led the door open for, you know, a lot of the new, the new religions we talked about, yeah. everything from you know, the Seventh-day Adventists and other mm -hmm. um, Millerite-type religions to mm -hmm. spiritualism. And a large number of people, they don't seem to want to talk about it these days because this is sort of looked on askance, but Elizabeth Cady Stanton, mm -hmm. uh, Sojourner Truth, mm -hmm. uh, all these people who were involved in women's women women's suffrage, who were mm -hmm. involved in abol the abolition of slavery subscribed to spiritualism during this time mm. period. So mm. that's another interesting part, but nobody seems to want to talk about that anymore. Um, so um, anyway, let's talk a little bit more about Mary Todd Lincoln, um, mm -hmm. because she did have seances. Uh, first off, you know, their son died at the White House. And yeah. of course, and then later on, Lincoln himself died. They say he perhaps attended one. And mm -hmm. there was a variety of different mediums who were very popular at the time and who were brought in. But one of them was a guy, an Englishman named Lord Charles J. Colchester. Hmm. And he was a medium whose spiritual gifts were about as fake as his pedigree. <laughs> <laughs> okay. he, conduct, he, and he conducted some seances for Mrs. Lincoln including mm. one, at least one, at the soldier's home. Okay. Um, his shenanigans were exposed by the journalist Noah Brooks, who was one of Mrs. Lincoln's benign male favorites. Mm. Brooks not only exposed Colchester, but he also brought, broke up Colchester's attempt to blackmail Mrs. Lincoln. Oh. He wanted to get out of town while the getting was good, and he <laughs> tried to blackmail Mrs. Lincoln to get him 
uh, free train tickets to travel to New York City okay. to, get, to get out of Washington. Yeah. Um, and there was a reason for this. Um, he, he threatened that he would expose secrets he heard at the White House, but he was privy to other secrets. I'm sure. Col Colchester really was a boozer. He really liked to drink. And uh -huh. he developed a friendship with another heavy drinker who liked to hang out at the bar at the Union Hotel in Washington. Oh, there we uh, go. And yeah. that was the actor John Wilkes yeah. Booth. Booth, yeah. Booth was really angry wow. about the declining fortunes of the Confederate cause. Mm -hmm. um, during one of their drinking bouts, Booth confessed he was giving up on his plans to kidnap Lincoln and had decided the only solution was assassination. Okay. Colchester attempted to warn the White House but by this time, he was persona non grata. Nobody's going to believe him. Yeah. Uh, no, no one was going to believe him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And he, was, he wasn't able to prevent the tragedy. Mm. That's sad. Mm. So back to Swedenborg. Uh, he had that idea that the afterlife was a two-way street. Mm -hmm. And if you had the proper skill, you could contact spirits of the dead. And his method involves something called spirit guides. Mm -hmm. And this became a general belief. It became a very popular belief as mm -hmm. you know, religions began to rearrange themselves a little bit and things mm -hmm. like that. And as the spiritual, uh, spiritualist movement grew beyond the Fox sisters and mm -hmm. began to be impactful. Um, so these, these spirit guides were often referred to by exotic names, often imaginary Native Americans. Sure. This was the time of the creation of the myth of the noble savage. Mm -hmm. uh, who were no longer spirits who would gladly guide the white men to more natural existences, <laughs> but would guide them into the uh, we, spirit we world. We stole your land and killed you, but now you're going to help us. Yes, know? yes, because you're so noble. You're a noble <laughs> savage. Uh, yeah. uh, besides all the colonialist attitude and the just outright sure. racism, I don't know what else to say. Yeah. <laughs> it was the 1800s, after all. So, the Fox sisters totally burned out at the end of their career, but that didn't stop copycats and the spinoffs. Uh, two of them were Ira and William Davenport of Buffalo, New York. They were inspired Davenport by the wrappings, yeah. yeah, the wrappings of the Fox sisters, and decided mm -hmm. to try their own, try their own with their father. Their yeah. sessions were so chilling, they would later claim their sister actually levitated, mm -hmm. that they decided to make a show of it. Mm -hmm. In 1855. 16-year-old Ira and 14-year-old William got on stage for the first time. With the help of their spirit guide, a ghost named Johnny King, they performed a number of elaborate tricks that went past simple wrappings. Often bells, cabinets, ropes, and floating instruments would be utilized in the performance. Members of the audience would swear they saw instruments fly over their heads mm -hmm. or feel ghostly hands cr clutching their shoulders. The brothers were heralded as true mediums and enjoyed fame for the rest of their professional careers. After William passed away in 1877, Ira gave up the medium business just to have a quieter life. Yeah. He, he wasn't heard from again until, and here's a Harry. name everybody knows, yeah. until Harry Houdini brought, sought him out years yeah. later. Yeah. They became friends, and Ira let him in on a few of his tricks, including the one called the tie around the neck. That not no. even Irish children knew uh, about. I know that trick. Yeah. <laughs> Do you? The surviving Davenport told Houdini all about the tricks 
and the trouble that went into keeping their secret, including reserving the front row for their friends and hiring numerous accomplices. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, some of their greatest tricks didn't involve any work. Reports of flying instruments and mysterious sensations no. were purely delusions Suggestion. of the audience no. members. Yeah, yeah, mesmerism. <laughs> strange, strange how people imagine things in the dark. Why the yeah. musical instruments never left their hands, yet many spectators would have sworn they had taken an oath that they heard them flying over their heads. Yeah. Davenport told Houdini. Yeah, uh, it's classic stuff right there. Yep, absolutely. So, now, Harry yeah. was armed. <laughs> Harry was had, armed, yeah. Yeah, plus he had his own experience as a medium, and of course, sure. being the most famous musician magician in the world didn't yeah. hurt any either. So yeah. he started exposing mediums throughout the world. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he, one of the people he went after was a huckster named Eva Carrier. Yeah. And yep. he wrote a book called A Ma Magician Among the Spirits. Mm -hmm. And Carrier was a medium known for ability to produce a mysterious substance. Ectoplasm. Called yeah. ectoplasm. Yeah. Ooh, comes out the nose and the ears and the mouth. All kinds of orifices. stuff. Yeah. 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 Carrier. Carrier, with the help of her assistant and alleged lover, uh, Juliet Bissom, would be yeah. stripped down and searched to prove, mm -hmm. prove there was nothing on her person. Yeah. She would then let Bisson put her in a trance where Houdini said he was certain she was actually asleep. Uh -huh. <laughs> After some time, she would conjure up ectoplasm from her mouth and it, that yeah. looked like a colored cartoon and seemed to have been unrolled. Yeah, it is. It's a mouth coil made yeah. of gauze. Yep. Yeah. Houdini fell left underwhelmed and unconvinced. Yeah. But still, Carrier seemed to hold many in her trance. Yeah. A researcher named Albert von Schrenk, uh, Notzing, spent several years from 1909 to 1913 working with her. And by the end, he was completely convinced. Yeah. He published his findings and photographs in his book, Phenomena of Materialization. Well, he made money off of that, too. Let yeah. Me tell you. yeah. Ironically, the book ended up being Carrier's undoing. A skeptic named Harry Price wrote that the pictures proved that the faces seen in the medium's ectoplasm were yep. actually regurgitated cutouts yep. from a French fashion magazine. Yep. Yep. <laughs> wow. Anna Odella Disdebar had gone through many names and identities in her lifetime. But according to Houdini, she started as Editha Salomon. Yeah. She was born in Kentucky in 1849. Others claim she was named Della Ann Sullivan and was mm -hmm. born in 1851. She left home at 18 and somehow convinced the high society of Baltimore that she was of European arist aristocracy. Sure. Like you do. Yeah. Uh, where, where the Kentucky girl with her peculiar temperament and characteristics, how she could possibly have secured the education and knowledge which she displayed through all her exploits, <laughs> I am at a loss to understand who did yeah. Yeah. Regardless, Solomon was extremely successful in her con artistry and managed to cheat Baltimore's wealthiest out of a quarter of a million dollars. Mm -hmm claiming that the funds were tied up in foreign banks, it was easy to drain potential suitors out of money mm -hmm. and, and out of luxury. So after a quick stint at an asylum for trying to kill a doctor, <laughs> these are, some of these people are really ethical, uh, yeah. Solomon took up hypnotism and married a 
man named General Dis Debar. Uh-huh. As Anne Odella Dis Debar and a general's wife, although modern scholarship says he wasn't a general and they weren't ever really married, <laughs> she found that people were eager to trust her. Sure. She took advantage of this trust when she met a successful lawyer named Luther R. March, who had just lost his wife. After convincing him that she was a skilled medium, Dis Debar persuaded him to turn over his home on Madison Avenue, which he wow. then turned into a spiritualistic temple and successful mm. business. Mm. The swindler created spirit paintings, mm-hmm. which through sleight of hand seemed to appear out of nowhere on blank canvases as if spirits were painting them right before the are, are you familiar with the are you familiar with the magic trick called spirit slates? Do you yeah. know that one? Yeah, I know yeah. that one. Yeah, it's a pretty yep. cool trick. It's it's, it's old, but trick. you know, it's that trick can still deceive people. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um so the paintings eventually landed this D-bar in legal trouble when Marsh invited the press to come and see them. In 1888, the so-called medium was hauled into court for deceiving March and swindling him out of his house and mm-hmm. home. Mm-hmm. Many testified against this Debar, including her own brother. But the most convincing wow. participant was professional Carl Hertz, who was called mm-hmm. in to disprove her trickery. With ease, he replicated each, each of this yeah. Debar's tricks and performed some that not even she could do. Yeah, yeah. Satisfied that the woman was a fraud, the state incarcerated her for six months at Blackwell's Island, which is now yep. Roosevelt Island. Yeah, yeah. Despite all this, March continued to believe in spiritualism. Unfortunately for Dis Debar, he seemed like the he seemed like the only one. She attempted to resurrect her career, but was unsuccessful. Later, being hauled back into court for charges that, of debt, and she traveled between London and America for years, mm-hmm. going in and out of prison before finally yeah. disappearing for good in 1909. Mm-hmm. I, I, and and Houdini kind of wrote an epitaph for her. Anna, <laughs> Anna Odella Disdebar's reputation was much that she will go down in history as one of the greatest criminals. <laughs> she was no credit to spiritualism. She was no credit to any people. And she was no credit to any country. Yeah, good old Harry. The, one of those moral misfits, which every yeah. once in a while seems to find their way into the world. Better for Better had she died at birth than to have lived and spread the evil that she did. Wow. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, that's a diss. (laughs) Harry was awfully good at finding those people and exposing them. Yep. Yeah. So in the 1920s, Mina Crandon, known as Marguerite or the Blonde Witch of Lime Street, Mm -hmm. was one of the most well-known and controversial mediums of her time. She was born in Canada and moved to Boston and took up a number of careers working as a secretary and an actress and an ambulance driver. Mm. After she divorced her first husband, she married Dr. Leroy Goddard Crandon, a surgeon who studied at Harvard. It was Mm. the doctor who introduced her to spiritualism and eventually led her down the path to becoming a medium. Mm -hmm. She was friendly. She was a pretty woman, but the ghost of her brother, Walter, was much less charming. (laughs) The, The medium would conjure a spirit, which would then wrap out messages tip over tables, and yell at the participants. (laughs) Often ectoplasm would ooze from her ears, nose, mouth, and dress. The mysterious substance sometimes took the form of a hand and supposedly rang bells or touched the participants. Mm -hmm. Her performance was so convincing that it attracted the Boston elite 
and even Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Yeah, the famous Conan Doyle. Famous yeah. author. Yeah. As her sure. popularity soared, his her prayers were even read by the U.S. Army. Hmm. So, um, yeah, and we've talked about Doyle in the past, and we will talk about him some more very shortly. Mm -hmm. um, so anyways, he called, Houdini called together a panel of scientists, which was formed by Scientific American, yep. to find a true medium. Find one, yep. Yeah, so if you could convince them, you get five grand. Yeah, there's, you know, uh, uh, the great Randy picked yeah. that up. And there's the still million a, dollar a prize challenge. out there waiting for a medium. Yeah, that, I think it's yeah, up to five million dollars now. Yeah, they can do it under scientific conditions. If you can prove it, it's your money. And yeah, a double a long time. A double blind study. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, Randy said the saddest thing he, he saw during this time period was the people who came in and they got all set up and minutes would pass and then the guy would say or the woman would say did you see it yeah <laughs> and randy would say well that's interesting but could you do it again please could you do it again <laughs> because yeah. these people it attract a lot of people who are totally delusional you bet. So anyway so anyway um the panel was really convinced by marjorie and was gearing up to give her the money uh houdini wanted to take a look at the medium for himself so he went to Boston in 1924 and had her conduct a seance. Yep. He sat next to her and had their hands joined and feet and legs mm -hmm. touching. Earlier that day, the skeptic had worn a bandage around his knee all day, making it very sensitive to the touch. Mm -hmm. The heightened sensitivity helped him feel Marjorie move as she used her feet to grab various props during the act. After figuring out the scheme, Houdini was convinced of the fraud and wanted to go public. And despite his confidence, the rest of the panel still remained uncertain, putting off the decision. By October, the Scientific American published an article claiming that the panel was hopelessly divided. The hesitation angered both Houdini and Marguerite's spirit. <laughs> Houdini, you goddamn son of a bitch, Walter screamed, get the hell out of here and never come back. And if you don't, I will. <laughs> By November, Houdini circulated a pamphlet called houdini exposes yeah. the tricks used that by the boston media that is yeah. a great pamphlet i've read Mar it yeah. marjorie yeah he then put on performances recreating yes. all her tricks for the amusement of skeptics yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know he continued to do that kind of thing for the rest of his life wherever yeah. he would go he'd find a local medium and then uh, he would go to them undercover in disguise. He would learn what they were doing. And that evening, he would come back and perform all those tricks. Yep. And expose them, of course. Yep. Okay. So anyway, there's a, there's a kicker here, however. Mm. Uh, he put on these performances. So totally humiliated and without prize money, mm. Mar Marjorie made a prediction in 1926, Houdini mm -hmm. will be gone by Halloween. Yeah. Yeah, that she said it through, of course, her yeah. her spirit guide, her brother, Walter. A weird coincidence was that Houdini die did die that October yeah. on the 31st from peritonitis. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So who knows, man? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So spiritualism. Was a. Um, mostly middle and upper class movement, and especially was popular with women. American spiritualists would meet in private homes for seances, at lecture halls, in trance lectures, 
at state or national conventions and at summer camps attended by thousands. And among the most significant of the camp meetings were Camp Etna in Etna, Maine, mm -hmm. Onset Bay Grove in Onset, Massachusetts, Lilydale in yeah, Western New York State, yeah. Yeah. Camp Chesterfield in Indiana, mm -hmm. Wowawak Spiritualist Camp in Wowawak, Wisconsin, and Lake Pleasant in Monteague, mm -hmm. Massachusetts. It's found in founding camp meetings, the spiritualists appropriated a form developed by the U.S. Sure. Protestant denominations yeah. in the yeah. early 19th century. Mm -hmm. So spiritualist camp meetings were located in mostly, most densely in New England, but were also established across the upper Midwest. Uh, in Casadega, Florida is the most notable spiritualist camp meeting in the southern states. Uh, here in Pennsylvania, Camp Silverbell existed for a time in Ephrata. Ephrata, yeah, famous yeah. Ephrata, yeah. Yeah, Camp Silverbell was a Pennsylvania spiritualist center located in Ephrata, halfway between Harrisburg and Philly. The borough mm -hmm. began as a famed religious community, the Cloisters, founded mm -hmm. in 1732 by the German mystic Conrad Beisel. Mm -hmm. It was the seat of the mystic order of the solitary a semi-monastic order of the Seventh-day Dunkers. Mm -hmm. As the cloister community, oh, and we should probably explain what the Dunkers were. Uh, they were German Baptists, mm -hmm. and they, because they believed in total immersion, yeah. uh, the German word for that was Dunkern, uh, so they became known as Dunkers. Dunkers. And, and, my, and, my, and there, if there's an old map that I've looked at from the 1850s, and all around this region, you, it indicates all the churches, and you mm -hmm. see Dunkard Church, Dunkard Church, Dunkard ah. Church. There's a string of them yeah. running through this part of Pennsylvania. Cool. As the Cloisters community declined in the early 1800s, the village grew and became a well-known vacation location. Yeah. Two, res two resorts were built, the Mountain Springs mm -hmm. and the Mount Vernon House. Mm -hmm. More than 100 years after the Cloisters disbanded, Ethel Post Parish discovered Ephrata. Ethel was a prominent physical medium whose direct voice demonstrations and spirit materializations attracted worldwide attention. She would enter a deep trance while sitting in a cabinet, bringing forth her guide, Silverbell, a, a Native American, I might add, as well as mm -hmm. other spirits. Ethel had opened a church and established a school for the education of spiritualist ministers and the development of mediums in Miami, Florida in 1927. Hmm. But to get away from the heat and the humidity in Florida, <laughs> in 1932, she opened a summer camp and school for mediums in Ephrata, and she called it Camp Silverbell after, yeah. after her spirit guide. Medium, yeah, yeah. The Mountain Springs Hotel was originally built in 1848 by Joseph Konigmacher, Above the Germans, above the center of town where the local mineral spring gave rise to a spa. By uh, 1860, the original farmstead had grown to a 400 room hotel, including 60 foot high observatories. In 1935, Camp Silverbell, which was financed by Mr. and Mrs. John Steffen, per purchased the buildings for meetings, conferences, and services and vacations. In 1937, the Silverbell Group dedicated a new hospital into Stephan's memory. As a sister camp to Chesterfield in Anderson, Indiana, Silverbell flourished from 1932 to 1999 as a mecca for physical phenomena. Only the best mediums were invited to serve at the camp. <clears throat> Spiritualists from throughout the United States, as well as 
internationally traveled to participate in the seances that took place there. Maurice mm. Barbonell, the medium for the famous spirit teacher Silver Birch, reported mm. on the full materializations he experienced when he visited in the 1930s. Mm -hmm. In 1965, renowned Brazilian medium Chico Xavier uh, attended seances at Silver Bell on his famous spiritualist missionary visit to the United States. Mm -hmm. So during her lifetime, Ethel submitted to many tests to prove the legitimacy of the physical manifestations she produced. There's one account of a seance in 1928 where doctors weighed a manifested spirit as well as Ethel during a demonstration and found her <laughs> weight loss equaled that of the spirit's weight. Wow. As many as five spirits could materialize during a seance, but Jane Cuthbert described an unbelievable event in which nearly 50 spirits manifested. Mm -hmm. In a 1945 account, she stated, while there were materialized individuals on the floor talking with loved ones on earth, at the same time, the seance, there were voices singing in the cabinet. Wow. So, and, you know, she was, she used trumpets, which is another mm -hmm. thing. One note said that the Society of Psychic Research uh, from Ontario sent people to examine her, said she was sewn into a bag with only her head outside and in such a manner that would have been impossible for her to make use of her hands and feet without breaking the cord juice and sewing the bags. Mm -hmm. It sounds a little familiar to me. Yeah, it does. Yeah. yeah. All yeah, those like, di disappearing acts with a cabinet, the person mm -hmm. ends up in a bag for some strange mm -hmm. reason. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah. yeah. Very this familiar sounds, stuff there. This sounds a heck of a lot like stage magic, doesn't it? It sure it is stage magic. You're yeah. you're absolutely right. It's it's the rudiments or the the beginnings of of the pretty, uh, of the big shows. You know, uh, up until that point, magicians might be parlor magicians. Yeah. Or or they might have a small crowd at a carnival or a festival. Mm -hmm. uh, but we're getting into the areas where you're drawing large crowds uh, for a ticket price to see some pretty amazing things. Yeah. yeah. And this and, was. And, and this spirit is magic is, uh, you know, it comes directly out of this tradition. It mm -hmm. really does. And then, uh, and tongue in cheek, you know, uh, do you, is what's really going on here? You know, certainly there would be some believers. Sure. Uh, in a magic show that are or even Conan Doyle, as you mentioned earlier, Conan Doyle was never convinced that Houdini wasn't somehow uh, psychic, mm -hmm. even though Houdini would show him how he did many of the tricks to prove yeah. that it wasn't. Well, and uh, Harry, Harry would actually he'd say, I am not doing uh, anything psychic here. There's there's nothing spiritual going on. This is a trick. Uh, I'm just very skilled at these things. I'm glad you're amazed, but these are all, I'm not going to tell you, but they're all explainable. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely. And and Conan Doyle really never believed, which is kind of amazing when you figure Conan Doyle uh, wrote Sherlock Holmes, the guy who's eminently logical and deductive yeah. in reasoning, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But pretty, he was, as, as we saw, he belonged to... Um, some secret magic lodges in yes, England. Yes, he did. Yeah. Um, along with several other prominent authors, um, mm -hmm. and uh, he, he, his, I think, is what his last big deal uh, to try to promote his spiritualist ideas was the mm -hmm. Cottingley Fairies, right? Yeah, 
yeah, and those absolutely. were those were simply paper cut. Anyone who sees those photographs nowadays nowadays, yeah, they look very fake. false. Yeah, yeah. Once yeah. again, they look like little girls. But if if people want if people want to believe, they believe. I know that yeah. as a magician. There's this amazing trick that I do. I learned a long time ago. There's this wonderful magic trick. You lose you use a a false thumb. It's a flesh colored these days rubber <laughs> thumb. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. And you can make things appear and disappear with that. And and I learned early on, <laughs> excuse me, that before sure. they used that rubber thumb, you would actually use a thimble, a silver ah. bright thimble. And so I determined that I was going, I couldn't believe that anyone would miss that when they're looking at me. Mm-hmm. But I tried it a- a- and I used a thimble and it's glaring, it's shining in the light, but you know, People want to believe so much they will not see that thimble on my thumb. It's astonishing. It's absolutely astonishing. People want to believe this stuff so much that they just do. Even when you can show it, say, look, look at my thumb. What? What? Well, don't you see the thimble on my thumb? They don't see it. Yeah, it's a it's the opposite of what James Randi reported. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. What was on that UFO poster above Fox Mulder's office in the X Files? Yeah, I want to believe. I want yeah. to believe. Yeah. I want to believe. Yeah. 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 So, absolutely. needless to say, Houdini became one of the most powerful debunkers of yes, spiritualist frauds. Mm-hmm. And you know, he and Conan Doyle were actually friends. Yes, they were. Um, but uh, tell the story of, uh, you know, the story about how Houdini uh, changed his mind because he uh, about spiritualism. I mean, you mm. know, he 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 was devoted to his mother and she mm-hmm. died and she died yeah. and he was yeah. he was truly bereft. Um, yes, he was. So, he was so devastated can, when can mama died. Story? Yeah. yeah tell he, that story. He, Mama dies and, and he's, uh, he, he's kind of thinking that maybe there's something to this spiritualist stuff. So he decides to go to a seance by a prominent uh, uh, medium. He goes to the seance and, and he's waiting and, and uh, well, the, the darkened room and everybody's holding hands. And, and uh, uh, the medium uh, tells Harry that his mother has entered the room and uh, this disembodied voice <laughs> begins to speak. And uh, Harry jumps up, turns on the lights and says, this is a fraud. And the reason why he knew it was a fraud because uh, the ghost apparently of his mother was speaking English and his mother only knew Yiddish. So that was, <laughs> that was the exposure. And, and really that convinced Harry that most of the time that mediums that were talking to dead spirits were just a sham, that they were just doing magic tricks to fleece people of their money, which yeah. really angered him. He, he certainly uh, you know, made an honest living with his entertainment. Uh, and he made a good living at the time, probably oh, yeah. was the highest paid performer uh, during his lifetime. And he uh, made but movies. he was always very clear that he these were just tricks. He was not speaking to dead people. He did not have any special powers other than learning and practice and innovation and lots and lots of practice. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but he knew how to, he knew how to make money for sure 
because sure he, he eventually started appearing in silent films as a yes, sort of a s- magical superhero, um, yeah. a, a yeah. turn of the century Doctor Strange type, uh, yeah. using, using magic tricks, uh, his ability to stage things, and of course the primitive special effects of the time to, you know, well, he was always, he's also an, he was also an amazing self promoter. You yeah. know, that's how the escapes began. The escapes began because uh, he would come into town or, or before he came into town, he would announce that he would be breaking out of the local jail or he would be hanging upside down from the tallest building and get out of a straitjacket. And of course, uh, hundreds of people would come to watch this scene, which was free. And then, uh, you know, he had, he had hired boys. Uh, to walk around handing out the handbill of where his show was going to be and where you could get a discount ticket. Mm-hmm. Pretty good self-promotion, absolutely. I understand no less um, American oddball as H.P. Lovecraft ghost wrote mm. stories for Harry Houdini. Yes. Uh, yeah. So, yes. yeah, Houdini was, um, he was on top of his game. And yes, when he, he decided, Decided to go after spiritualist, he stayed on top of the game. Yes, so he, he did. He yeah. it wasn't just him. He had a mm-hmm. network of skeptics and investigators who would go to the spiritualist, pretending to be grief-stricken individuals who wanted to contact their deceased loved ones. Yeah. Uh, the foremost person among his who what was called Houdini Secret Service was a woman named Rose Mackenberg. Rose, yeah. Mm-hmm. She was known to have impersonated, impersonated over a hundred yep. different people yep. while in the process of exposing their Absolutely. Um, yeah. fake mediums. And, yeah. you know, and there is this, there's this underlying story here of grieving people. Yes. And people who, who are grasping at straws because of their grief. Absolutely. And, and people, you know, it's, it, it's still going on, Michael. It's them. still yeah. going on. Several years ago, there was a guy named John Edwards who does, oh, yeah. uh, does a show called Passing Over or something like that. And, and yeah. you know, he's just doing a combination of what we magicians call cold reading and hot reading. He's yeah. very good at it. He's a very oh, talented he's magician. But He's ripping people off, and it's yeah. really sad to see. I could tell you how it's done, but as a magician, I'd have to arrange for your death afterwards because we're not allowed to reveal this. Secret. Oh, I know, but I have seen there are some great mentalists uh, that yeah. I have seen who have talked mm-hmm. about this and listened to, and one of them was uh, the young guy who was one of James Randi's understudies. He mm-hmm. goes by the name Banachek. That's his stage name. And he's a great mentalist. And he's he's gone on television shows. Mm -hmm. He was was the trick builder for, uh, uh, what was the young guy who was like the hot up and coming stage magician? Doug Henning. No, no, no. This is more recent. No, this is more like he was a punk rock type guy. Something angel. Chris Angel. Chris Angel, yeah. Yeah. Banachek was actually his trick builder. Mm Mm-hmm. But yeah, Banachek, I've seen him explain how cold readings are done. And 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 it's something you have to really practice. It is. I'm I'm okay people, at it, yeah. <laughs> but I'm not great at it. But but people are really, really good at it. So yeah. Um okay, so back to Doyle though. Um yeah. most people don't know that. His son Kingsley died yes. in World War One. Absolutely, yeah. He was mm-hmm. a member of a group called the Ghost Club. Mm-hmm. 
Mm -hmm. um, they wanted to study paranormal activities. Mm -hmm. He was also, uh, uh, we already said, a member of the Ordo Orientalis. Mm -hmm. um, they, you know, he was very interested in proving paranormal phenomena. And some mm -hmm. of the members of the club were Charles Dickens, Dickens, William, yeah, William Crooks, yeah. Sir James yeah. Barrett, Harry mm -hmm. Price. Um, so there were a lot. The cures attended. Um, uh, it's interesting. I didn't uh, know that. Yeah, yeah. they attended uh, seances in yeah. um, in Paris. Yeah. Uh, wow. There was a celebrated New York physician, John Franklin Gray, was a prominent mm -hmm. spiritualist. And of course, Thomas Edison wanted to develop a spirit telephone, wow. which, which was a device that would summon yeah. the living, the voices wow. of the dead, and then record the voices of the dead. Yeah. So, and of course, there was then established the Society for Psychic Research, which mm -hmm. was founded mm -hmm. in London also in around 1882. And they created a second committee on haunted houses. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, modern stage ma magicians like Randy continue to debunk psychics. Um, oh. Another guy that I've seen explain uh, cold readings beautifully was uh, it is the British uh, st magician, uh, Darren Brown. Yes. Uh, yeah. And and his his work is amazing. Yes, it absolutely is. amazing. And yeah. another one named John Dennis. He's mm -hmm. John. John has created something called the Bad Psychics, <laughs> Psychics Web website. Yeah. yeah. And there's also skeptical investigators like Bob Nygaard, mm -hmm. and they continue to educate the public. But I do my best as well, Michael. I yeah. do my best well, as well. Well, I, I think this whole five-part series has been an attempt at that. Mm -hmm. But. Mm -hmm. You'll see this stuff pop up again and again. I remember during the 70s, there's suddenly fortune telling. There were fortune tellers all over the place. And there were a few psychics and things like yeah. that. Then Yuri Geller, Bending Spoon. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Yuri Geller. And, he's, and he was one of the people that brought not only the psychic ability and the ability to talk to spirits, but also aliens and the whole mm -hmm. Eric Van Donegan, ancient astronauts thing. Uh, into into spirit into guys, Ramtha, yeah, yeah. Ramtha, mm -hmm. yeah. It just goes mm -hmm. on and on. As you said, in the '90s, we had um, John Edwards and mm -hmm. James Von Prey, who was mm -hmm. who was really bad. I mean, mm -hmm. they both. I watched them a couple of times with their television shows. They were just, it was terrible what they were doing. Obviously, wearing an earwig. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. But you know what? Um, one of the most famous busts by Randy was not of a psychic medium, but of a faith healer mm. uh, who was wearing an earpiece. And mm -hmm. they actually snuck uh, a receiving unit into the basement. Into the hall. Yeah, into the I hall remember that. And yeah, picked absolutely. up his radio signal. It turns yeah. out it was um, his wife was his helping wife. him. Yeah, his wife yeah. was helping him. So, yeah. yeah it's one thing to be absolutely shameless, <laughs> but it's another thing to be shameless and actually take advantage of people who are grieving. Stealing, stealing their money. Absolutely. You're stealing their money. Yeah. So, yeah. so anyway, here we are. Here we yeah. are. What an adventure of, it's been. Yeah. At the end of our five, five part series. And we didn't even we're, scratch the surface. Yep. We just scratched the surface. And at yep. some point, 
we're going to do a um, do one on uh, an area that we didn't touch on, but it has so much to do with modern spiritualist movements, and that is um, Madame Blavatsky yeah. and the Theosophists. Yeah, that'd be fun because she her ideas are the keys to you know everything once again yeah. from UFO belief to mm -hmm. belief hollow earth belief mm -hmm. the famous the famous stories of the lizard people secretly controlling us <laughs> sure. ascended ascended uh, um ascended tibetan masters mm -hmm. uh etc etc on and on and on um mm. and strangely enough all this kind of weird mishmash of various philosophies and religions um has sort of a direct line to the nazis <laughs> Well, that'll be fun. Yeah, so we'll we'll do that at some yeah, future point. That'll be so fun. excellent. Yeah. So, Bill, um, where can people find you? Ah, you can find me on my website, gentling.org. Uh, you can find me on uh, Facebook at gentling. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. I'm available to do magic <laughs> as well as counseling. Uh, let's not talk about how those are interrelated, but. <sighs> Uh, you know, it's always been a fascination of mine, magic and uh, spiritual issues, as well as counseling. So, yeah, uh, thank you for the opportunity for me to mention that, Michael. I appreciate sure. it. Sure. And and I will say, um, I have seen Bill in action. He does not dress up as a wizard. He does not. <laughs> he does not activate a glass rod with with <laughs> static electricity and then zap you while he stares intently into your eyes um, i can do that though for the right price <laughs> but yeah for the right <laughs> price i'm sure you will <laughs> okay so that's all for now uh we'll be back in a couple of weeks with another topic uh because we are the podcast about everything so you know it's kind of open what we get to talk about and if anybody has any suggestions you can contact us on our facebook page or uh on twitter and uh at podcast about three and um on facebook uh at the podcast about everything and um we look forward to uh coming back to you in a couple of weeks so till then this is mike allison and bill krill be well be well a lot of research went into this five-part series, and it's appropriate to uh, thank the people whose research we used. So we'd like to thank our friends at Wikipedia, Smithsonian Magazine, BBC History Revealed, Mental Floss, Scientific American, and the book Bunk, The Rise of Hoaxes, Humbug, Plagiarists, Phonies, Post-Fads, and Fake News by Kevin Young. This week, podcast about everything is available on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found. You can leave us a message on our Facebook page, or a comment on iTunes or Anchor, and be sure to hit that subscribe button. You can also find us on Twitter at the Podcast About Free. 
This is Mike Allison signing off. See you next time on the podcast about.